everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. This is number 14. I am Jen. And today we're going to be talking about something that I find really fascinating from a learning perspective. But first, before we dive into that, let's recap what I talked about last week. So last week, I talked about the concept of groundedness and how it applies to fitness and movement. I covered the different aspects of groundedness in the context of different fitness and movement environments. I also questioned why groundedness and fitness both need to look a certain way, why they need to have these delineated buckets. This falls into the strength category. This falls into the cardiovascular category. This falls into the flexibility category. If you take the overarching concept of groundedness, can you apply it to a broad context of scenarios? And what happens if we start to look at movement from a different perspective? What happens if we throw out this idea that something needs to be one or the other and instead allow movement to be more holistic, for lack of a better term? Sometimes it's going to err more towards a specific aspect. Certainly a movement like running is going to be way more cardiovascular than anything else. But does it have elements of other things? Or can you use other things to supplement the running to make it feel more whole? And is running a grounding exercise? Running is just one example, but you could do the same thing with any exercise. Go ahead and come into a comfortable seated position, and I want you to use, let your eyes scan your room. And when your eyes find something interesting, let your eyes settle there. And whatever it is that your eyes settle on, Observe the texture, the shape, the color, now take a moment and observe the breath. As you observe the breath, observe the sensation of the inhale and the sensation of the exhale. Now let your eyes go back to scanning your room until again they settle on something that is interesting. And once they settle there, take a moment to observe the texture, the color, the size and the shape, 
and then go back to observing your breath. Observing the length of the inhale and the length of the exhale. Go ahead and let that go. That particular mindfulness technique is called oscillating attention. And I think it's really interesting and it segues really nicely into what we're discussing, what I'm discussing today, because it allows you to simply take in the stimulus before observing the stimulus. So what I mean by that, and I say stimulus, but I could also change that word out for input. What I mean by that is when I scan my room, I'm taking in all kinds of visual input. When my eyes settle on something that is interesting, the decision that something is interesting is coming from somewhere else. It's no longer just an open taking everything in. And as I observe the qualities of the thing that my eyes settle upon, I'm doing this from a very conscious place. Similarly, when I transition to focusing on my breath, initially I'm just focusing on checking in with my breath. I'm not doing anything else with it. But then that shifts to observing the sensation or the length. So this technique utilizes both top-down and bottoms-up processing, which is the topic for today. It's also very effective at, for lack of a better word, centering yourself or grounding yourself. One of the things I really like about this particular mindfulness technique is it eliminates noise, which you've heard me talk about a lot. But it also does so in a way that's not so downregulating that you feel like you're going to fall asleep. It allows you to drop in while still being alert which can be really helpful if you need to focus your attention on something or you're about to walk into a meeting that is going to be a little bit challenging. So on to the topic of today, top down and bottom up processing. What do these terms even mean? Well, they are psychology, they first show up kind of in the psychology realm, the psychology setting. And basically what they're referring to is the fact that you have two, time, two types of sensory input. You can either allow the stimulus to shape your perception. This is bottoms up processing. When you're scanning your room, you're taking in visual input. It's shaping your perception. Or 
You can use background knowledge and expectations to interpret the sensory input. This is top-down processing. So another example, another way to look at this is you're focusing on the external. You're allowing the external, I should say, to inform what you do next. This is different than using your consciousness to determine what you do next. Don't worry, this will become a little more clear. I promise. Motor learning is a combination of both. There is the fast bottoms up feedback loop, which is the thing about bottoms up processing. It's fast. And this occurs based on whatever input you're receiving. There is also the slower top down feedback loop that occurs as your brain determines whether what happened matched what it predicted would happen. I'm going to give you three examples. Hopefully this will start to clarify a little bit how this works. I was trail running yesterday in the dark, not my brightest moment, and I was running downhill and my right foot hit a rock. This happened very fast. I did not see the rock, obviously. And so my body very quickly responded to the rock in such a way that I remained upright, though I did strain my right foot. I could not tell you how I did it. Again, the input from the rock created this very fast response. This is bottoms up processing. Now, conversely, when I stopped and I checked in with myself and I thought to myself, okay, I shouldn't run the last mile back to the car. I should walk. This was very much based on previous experience. And even though my foot didn't hurt yet, I was pretty sure it was going to hurt later. I couldn't tell you why. So I was taking the information that I was receiving from my joints, from my musculoskeletal system, and taking past experience to determine what I was gonna do next. This is top-down processing. Let's give another example. Coincidentally, yesterday I also taught a handstand workshop. Now here's the thing with handstands. They're a weight shift. And the weight shift that occurs when you do a handstand happens pretty fast. You can think all you want about how you're going to kick up into the handstand. And there's a number of things that you can do, which I did, to give yourself an opportunity to experience the top-down processing aspect. How do your hands feel against the floor? What happens if you roll your fingers a different way? How do you shift weight into your hands? This is all top-down processing. But that moment when the foot leaves the ground and the weight transfers, that's all bottoms-up processing. So the act of the handstand, the act of actually handstanding, 
is going to be based on the input that you're experiencing right then. You're not going to, and then afterwards you have time to reflect and think and say, what did I do effectively? What worked? What didn't? What should I try differently? So handstands are a great example of something that is both a tops down and a bottoms up processing learning experience. In fact, one of the concepts that came up as I was teaching handstands, it was really interesting. One of the people there, he was there because handstands are on his bucket list. It's something that he's always wanted to be able to do. So as I was, I apologize for my camera angle. If you're watching this on YouTube, my little dog is in the way. Okay, so as we were going through things, I made sure that not only did people have the feeling in their hands, but they also understood the value of knowing how to fall. Knowing how to fall is what gives you confidence once you transfer the weight to try different things. So again, this top-down versus bottom-up processing shows up in a lot of different ways in a teaching context. I'm going to give one more example, and that's music. I found this fascinating paper on music while I was researching this particular topic. And the paper said that when one is learning music, it's both, again, a tops-down and a bottoms-up integration that's occurring. The bottoms-up part is the perception of rhythms and sounds, which I thought was really fascinating, that that is so innate in us. And if you think about what we've talked about, what I've talked about and what some of the guests have talked about in terms of rhythmic movement, how that does something powerful for the person or it can do something powerful for the person. And then when you think about things like the heart, how has it has it own, its own rhythms and the breath, how it has its own rhythm, you realize that rhythm is really innate within us. The top-down aspect of learning music is music production and music imagery. What are you trying to evoke? So how do you integrate these ideas into your movement practice and, or, and into your coaching? And there's so much value in being able to do both. As I said, bottoms-up processing is fast. It requires fast movement and few words. So when you think about that idea, what are you doing in your movement practice that is fast, that is allowing you to simply rely on the feedback that you're getting from your eyes, from your ears, from the pressure that you're experiencing throughout your body. Some examples for me are drops and aerial silks. If you've ever done aerial silks and you've ever done a drop, it's really fascinating. You receive instructions 
you come into the wrap for the drop. And then you do the thing and you see what happens and you get feedback afterwards and you try to implement that feedback for your next drop. But this all happens so fast, you're not you can't consciously think about it. There's no time. Running is very much a bottoms up processing event. Now, I can consciously change things as I run. And if I, if while I'm running, I try to consciously change something that typically thro initially throws me down for a moment, unless it was the right change in input to speed me up. This means that some of the things I think about while I run would seem like really awful coaching instructions <laughs> if they were giving outside of the context of running. For instance, lately I've been thinking about bringing my knee and my hip towards each other as I run. This speeds up the cycling of my leg. It's a weird instruction. It's not going to mean much in a lot of other contexts, but it works really well for me in the context of running. And this is because of pressure. This creates different pressure in my hip and different pressure in my knee that facilitates this change in rhythm. Top-down processing takes a little longer. Some examples for me is when I come into a full expression of a shape and pull. It's conscious. It's slow. It Once I'm in the full shape, What's interesting is what happens is I receive lots of sensory input, which can change how I do the next movement. Another example is when I'm doing really focused strength training. I'm consciously thinking about how I'm doing that particular movement. It's a lot of top-down processing. Other examples that might resonate with you are yoga or Pilates. These are slower modalities. Again, a lot of modalities incorporate both. Pole, for instance, incorporates both. I would venture to say that something like parkour, I've only done, a, I, I have done parkour. I've done a little bit of parkour. And parkour, there's elements of both. But when you go to do the really hard stuff, when you go to, jump from one side, you know, when you go to do a precision jump, which is where you jump onto something that's that's not very wide. You're basing all of that on sensory input. So it's a bottoms up event. The point of this is not to say that one is better than the other because it's not. It's good to have time to consciously process. So it's good to use the top down approach to match, to predict what you think is gonna happen and to see if the outcome matched what you predicted. But it's also good to have moments when processing is based on sensory input from the environment. Because life requires that we process input based on the environment. We don't know how we're gonna respond when we catch our foot on something until we actually do it. It happens so fast. I had no idea how I was going to, how I, I have no idea how I managed to stay, stay upright yesterday when I hit that rock. But trusting my system is something that my movement practice has taught me. 
So how can you, I'll leave you with this. How can you incorporate both types of processing in your movement practice? And how can you incorporate both types of processing in your coaching? If you're a coach. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to catching you next time. Talk soon.